Hello, I'm Sandra Gidley, President of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. We're trying something a little bit different with the Prescast. Some of you might have noticed that in the Queen's Birthday Honours in October, there are a number of pharmacists who actually receive medals. And it's always good to see people in the profession honoured. I thought it would be nice to talk to some of those cited in the awards and find out a bit more about what they've done to deserve one of the honours. So it's my absolute pleasure today to be speaking to Asghar Mohammed, And it's even more of a pleasure for me because he's a community pharmacist. And as a community pharmacist myself, we don't very often see those at the coalface getting awards. Welcome, Asghar. Thank you very much. So if you'd like to start by telling us a little bit about who you are. My name is Asghar Mohammed. I'm a community pharmacist. I'm managing director of four small community pharmacies in Scotland. I started off as a Boots Saturday boy while I was studying university at Strathclyde doing pharmacy. I completed my pre-reg with Boots and qualified in 1982, then became a manager of a small Boots branch. In July 1986, I became a community pharmacy proprietor of a pharmacy in Paisley. And then over the years, I've done various things. In 1991, I did the College of Pharmacy Practice exams. 2001, a master's in clinical pharmacy at Robert Gordon's, followed by supplementary and independent prescribing at 2009 in Robert Gordon's. I've done one or two jobs in the health board and I've worked on different committees, local and national, including the Scottish Pharmacy Board. It must have been quite a step to make that first purchase, open your first pharmacy. How difficult was it in the early days or did you just have the confidence to continue? It was difficult as uh, newly being married, we had a first baby as well. So taking a financial commitment on wasn't that easy, and especially when you're working for a like solid employer like Boots. But in the longer term, I felt it's better to have the stability of being in one location rather than moving in different locations with a large company, which is what would normally happen. And I was very fortunate, you know, that time it was with Unichem. <laughs> Obviously built that, I was going to say, plug for Unicam there. That's great. They do a lot with helping people to open their pharmacies. But you're also involved with local pharmacy networks and you mentioned some national work. Why did you get MBE? What was in the citation? I'm not really sure why. I'm just like an ordinary, normal person. When I was younger, I had rickets. I had a, quite a severe speech impediment, a bit like King George or others. However, I wasn't aware of the impact I was having until it was cited, by, obviously, by the Queen that I've been nominated for NBE for services to pharmacy and charity. Tell us a bit more about your charity work, because that's clearly a big part of who you are, serving the community in more ways than one. At the age of uh, 40, I came to a bit of a crossroads in my professional life. I'd been quite established in the pharmacy for working about 15 years and I was debating whether to become a member of the Scottish Parliament. 20 years ago, that was just being started. And I had had an interest in, obviously, in health and local politics and also in education. But the other option was focusing on charity. And the reason why that came up was I'm a practicing Muslim and charity is one of the, of the five pillars in Islam, where you were meant to give 2.5% of your wealth, which is called Zakat, compulsory charity. And any more than that is known as Sadhka, voluntary charity. So it was quite an interesting time for me, but I decided that, you know, politics can be quite a, <laughs> quite a dirty game and you can go up and down. And I decided to stick to focusing on charity and pharmacy. Now, the charity side, part of it is there's a chapter in our holy book, the Quran, 
chapter 103, and it encourages people to have faith in God, do good deeds and encourage others to do good deeds and have patience. So being my dad came to this country um, from Pakistan in 1939. We came from a very uh, working class background. So I think giving back to, to our communities and people less well off than ourselves was a good thing to do because of my background. I was also in the boys brigade as well. So I decided to go on the path of pharmacy and charity. So in 2001, I set up a charity called the Scottish Sadhga Charitable Trust, where basically we would put money in and then give grants to other charities working on the ground. At the same time, I was working with a few other charities. I became vice chairman of Al Mizan, which is a women's education charity in Glasgow, and vice chairman of Ethnic Enable, which is about people from the disabled background or BME people. And my education side was still there, and I was governor of one of the sort of private schools in Glasgow, Hutchison's Grammar School. So the charity work really started from two for 20 years, essentially. Somebody who went down the politician route, I think you probably made the right decision because I know people get a lot of satisfaction from charity work and helping others. And whilst you can help others as a politician, and that's the motivation for many, that's not the way it's perceived by the public. But they always love somebody who gets involved in charities. But I'm curious about the women's educational charity. Was that to help women in this country or other countries? Because I know globally education for women and girls is a big topic and there's been a big drive to increase participation because it helps society generally. Well I'm the youngest of seven children I've got four sisters and in pharmacy you're working with with women all the time so that was the first thing but I felt that within our Muslim community there was no provision for women being educated by local women it's all done by the mosques which were dominated by men and there were some women in Glasgow who wanted to set up a centre for women to help other women. It's a bit like, you could say, the Christian Sunday schools. The same idea as that. So it was to learn about their faith and also teach other women about the faith. Because once you have a young girl who becomes eventually a mother of, of the household, if she knows more about her faith, then the whole family gets educated. So key key to our in society's education of women because they those are the pillars in society and they can then make a transformational change for the next generation and the families to come and if people know about their faith in in a balanced way then they can practice it in a balanced way so it is about faith teaching but it's also it's about the why oh, right so i wondered if it was mm-hmm. helping women read and helping develop those other skills which would help them more widely alongside the faith teaching they're more like Bible study, but they're studying the Quran and also kicking. But that then encompasses other things as well. But through that medium, then you can access to other things that you can help women with. And also that all important network of women, which can, can sometimes be a bit scary, I think. Yeah. Just on that topic, I mean, I had the expertise, obviously, running my own pharmacy, being business. I also been involved in charities as well. So the combination of two, I had a complementary skill set, which those um, those uh, other sisters I call them didn't have so the combination of they wanted to teach I had other skills and were looking for a centre so it was a combination they invited me on to their board essentially and I set up the company set up the charity and started to look for premises for them it became the first women-based charity for the education of Muslim women in the UK oh brilliant um, so it's very enabling yes 
Excellent. So the other charity you mentioned was about disability. And you mentioned at the beginning of the programme that you'd had rickets. So are the two combined in any way? Probably not quite. I think I think it's more the, the speech impediment, which I had right. for many, many years. The rickets was uh, quite mild, but the, the speech impediment was I'm very severe. But helping disabled people from being in the community there already, they've got difficulties and barriers there. And um, I was asked to join that particular organisation because we were working with them. I think as you learn different things from different charities, from different people, and you've always got something to offer. And if they see something in you that they will benefit from and you, you know, you get a lot of satisfaction helping other people. So it's a win-win situation. You said it was an eye-opener. In what way was, was that? I think I wasn't aware of the the barriers that people have in terms of if you've got someone in the family who's disabled, you've probably got a better idea. But in terms of you're working with them, um, the chairman of the charity um, who sadly passed away, he was blind, he had one lung, he had a very rare condition called logic syndrome. He judged people by their actions and by their words, not by looking at them because he was blind. So you go beyond the veil, you go beyond the person, what you see, and you look at the person from the other side. And that's a thing which I think we don't do often enough. We often judge people. You can't judge a book by its cover. So I think it's important to learn from other people, um, from other backgrounds and from the people who are disabled. I think you can understand what life is like from their perspective, how they've got so many barriers. The chairman of the charity, Imran, himself was blind and he had one lung, he had a very rare condition, but he was judging people by what they were saying, what they were doing, not by what they looked like. And it's important that we all judge people not by what how they look, but what they can do, what they have to offer and by their actions. I know exactly what you mean because I'm married to somebody who is registered blind as a progressive condition and there was a almost a tipping point because people try and hide any disabilities because we're not very tolerant as a society and the breakthrough came when my husband learned to tell people what the problem was and then they just understood why he sometimes blanked them in the street because he couldn't see them. I totally agree that judging people by their actions and what they do rather than an impression they give is really, really important. I hope you have time to get involved in our ABCD group, Asker. It sounds as though we could benefit from all your experience in our diversity group. At the moment, I've got a disabled mother-in-law at home that we're caring for. And that's presented its own challenges. I'm helping my wife and to look after her. And it's been quite difficult with the pandemic. Definitely, you don't realise how much carers do, especially people who are at home. We'll have caring services and people don't value what those people do as well. I know in Scotland we have our home care service, like different to England. We don't value people who are carers, people in the home care, people in residential homes and people at home just caring for their loved ones. And of course, community pharmacy, you come across a lot of carers and you don't always realise quite the burden of caring they have. Has your personal experiences affected maybe the way you operate in your community pharmacies? Probably I'm not working in practice as much as I used to, but I think it's given me a better insight into society and different members of our society having different roles and appreciating people. And I think this pandemic, one of the benefits in a way has been that different people have come out as being more valued now than in the past they were undervalued. Obviously, I should mention that community pharmacists have no doubt been one of the unsung heroes during the pandemic, providing absolutely essential services under extraordinary circumstances. 
Yes, definitely. You mentioned earlier on that as a Muslim, you tithe some of your money to charity and you can give more. And obviously your faith is very important to you because of setting up the women's group, etc. How else would you say that your faith guides your actions? From our own faith, everything that we do, uh, we believe is, is written down. It's like it goes on a hard drive. This much might, might be hard to believe, but we have two angels sitting and they're writing everything down. One day in the future, we'll be judged by God and our books will be opened up and everything we did will be then laid open for judgment by God, who's the ultimate judge in terms of who we are, what we did and why we did it. So I think knowing that there, knowing that we'll be judged makes us think what are we doing, why are we doing it, and keeps you hopefully on the straight and narrow path. Always good to be on a straight and narrow path. And it's, try to be, uh, try to be, you know, <laughs> that's what you do these days, you know. Well, it's clearly a good set of guiding principles, but you've done a lot in your life. Some of that was uh, mentioned in the citation, but what are actually your personal proudest moments? So in terms of pharmacy, we've had obviously uh, several awards, um, you know, through our pharmacies and to me personally uh, but uh, there's probably four things the first thing was setting up the first pharmaceutical care clinic in our pharmacy in Trongate in Glasgow in 1999 this was with Anne-Marie McGregor who's just become a fellow so we set up this clinic looking at pharmaceutical care in practice I'd been to a lecture by Linda Strand Professor Strand had come from I think Minnesota to uh, one of the universities down south and I'd gone to a lecture I thought we need to do this locally what you would call a brown bag review we were doing that in our pharmacy and then writing to the gps with our findings which caused a bit of a stir to be honest at the time and the second thing uh, probably i was chosen by my local gps to be their clinical lead and chairman which was only non-gp chairman of a local healthcare cooperative in 2001 2016 we got the gold award for investors and people for our pharmacy which is really wonderful and finally, the, the icing on the cake, you'll be pleased to know when I got the fellowship from the Royal Pharmacy Society in 2017, that was a huge proud moment to go down to London and to receive that. I was going to mention the fellowship if you didn't, because I did have a, a quick look at that. You had some very illustrious nominators, but I'm not sure you're allowed to know who they are. I don't know who um, they are. I don't know who they are. So so about the impact on people, I hadn't realised, you know, what I was talking about earlier on about the impact you have on people, whether it's professionally or in charity side. So... You've made an impact on some very well-known names because I sure. recognise them all. So that just shows credit to what you were doing. And we sometimes say to people, oh, just set something up, just try something. And a lot of people don't do that. So what was it, uh, along with Anne-Marie Greger, that made you set up that first pharmaceutical care clinic? I've been with the College of Pharmacy Practice and Anne-Marie and I basically won some money to for Anne-Marie to go across to the States. And we thought, I thought this, it makes sense to look at people's medicines, the brown, what in England calls a brown rag review, but do it in your pharmacy. We know these patients. We can see, we can ask them about the drugs, sit down and with them. And it makes sense for us to liaise with them and then report our findings to the GP. It's a bit of a no-brainer because we're seeing these patients all the time. But the GPs weren't ready for some of our findings, and that's why locally, initially, it caused a stir. But so laterally, then, I used my MSc to design a document as a referral document for pharmacists to GPs. Basically, um, when you have pharmacal care issues, how then you then relay them to the GPs. So the GPs were getting these forms, and we tried out in our local town in, in Paisley, and they were very supportive of, of us doing that. 
I think you've got to be brave, and as long as your 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 intention is to help people, I think you need to do things outside the box occasionally. Yeah, you've been looking after the four community pharmacies. You've been developing new services, setting up the charities. It's, I'm hoping there's some time left for family life. <laughs> well, that's obviously in terms of personal. My, I think trying to be a good person with the help of family, friends, with our staff and other people helping us, it's been really good. And I think really God has blessed me with so many things, I can't really count them. And it's allowed me to help other people in, in my charity work. But in my personal life, I think there's always things which are really milestones and things we're proud of. And so getting married in 1982, becoming a father in 1985, then a grandfather in 2013. These are important, significant milestones, which I'm very fortunate to have experienced. One of the things that I hadn't done was go do a Hajj, which is a pilgrimage. We go to Mecca once in a lifetime. So I did that in 1998. So these things are all, all important. I think the MBE that which I received uh, recently was a combination of my personal life and my pharmacy life coming together. And that's probably... Uh, why I was perhaps nominated as a combination of the two, which uh, I wasn't aware of, to be honest. But that's the way it happened. I'm very lucky to have a very supportive wife. And I've got two sons, one's a GP, one's a pharmacist. Hopefully the tradition will, will try and continue. It's it's very clear to me that you have this work-life balance. It's not all about pharmacy. And what has heartened me is it's so often the people who devote all their time to pharmacy who get their awards. And yet you come across as a very rounded individual in all of this. So is that family or religion or is it just something in you that has helped you keep that balance? I think it's probably part of my faith is getting the balance of being a good pharmacist, being whatever career you choose to be in, be, try and be good at it. Secondly, you've got responsibilities to your family and also your relatives, your parents. So that balance, you know, we call it Mizan, and that's the name of the charity, that, that women's charity, is getting that balance of this world and the next world. Because at the end of the day is that we're in this, in this world for a period of time. And we believe in life after death in a sort of heaven and hell type of situation. So you have to have the balance of working in this life, but working in this life for the next life. So this life is very important, but you need to also think this life is very limited. And one day we're not going to be here. So your legacy, in a way, has got to be that balance, as far as I can see, between looking to the future and looking in the past. Trying to leave the world a better place than you found it. Exactly. One of the nicest points uh, recently was when I uh, celebrated uh, the MBE and uh, being 60 at the same time on Saturday 10th of October. We're happy to celebrate that with uh, COVID guidelines with the rest of the family. That was indeed uh, such a nice day. What advice would you give those young pharmacists today who are thinking about next career steps, what to do with their life, whether or not to become a politician? I would say don't. What advice would you give? My prescription for success, if you can call it, is what's the goal? The goal is try to be the best you can be as a professional pharmacist. So how do you do that? I think by working hard, by being patient focused. Don't be afraid to try new ideas to push your boundaries and be patient and passionate of what you do. And I think that ultimately that would lead to success professionally and personally. That would be my prescription for success. 
That's, obviously, uh, in, are we back in 1997? I had written a wee poem. Obviously, that was my vision how pharmacy should develop more than 20 years ago. Do you think reading out the poem would be um, a nice place to end this? Well, if, if you're happy for me to do it, I can do that for you. Yes, please. The title of the poem is The Future is Bright. The future is high professional and practice standards. The future is mandatory accredited continuing education. The future is clinical audit and evidence-based healthcare. The future is making use of information technology. The future is pharmacist prescribing and medication review. The future is multidisciplinary teamwork. The future is pharmaceutical care. The future is patient registration. The future is bright. The future is now. Together we can do it. And that was written by myself on the 9th of December, 1997. Well, I have to say, Asker, a lot of that was very prescient. We don't have registration in England, but you do in Scotland. And it must be really heartwarming to look back on that and see how much has come to pass. And also to look back on a career where you have served your patients and your community to such an extent that you've been honoured. It's been an absolute delight to speak to you. And I wish you well for the future. Thank you very much, Asker Mohammed. Okay, thank you, Sandra. Nice speaking to everyone today. I forgot to mention two of my good class fellows who have helped to shape my pharmacy career, uh, Professor Claire Mackey and Professor Rosemary Parr. They had set the bar very high. Thank you.